Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made. Uh, We are continuing to rejoice. We are glad in it. We are celebrating what God is doing around the world in the hearts of men and women and kids. Uh, You have a testimony. You have a story to tell. You and I are the storytellers. We have to we have to love to tell the story um, of uh, of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory of of Jesus and his love. Do you love to tell the story? That's really the question on my heart and mind this morning. Uh, If I'm going to be a kingdom movement catalyst, which now Glenn Sunshine has inspired me to desire to be. I'm going to, Paul, we're going to have to reprint some business cards. I don't know. That's probably not the way that it works. I really want to be. Well, we can do that. I mean, what do you want to say again? Don't you totally now want to be a kingdom movement catalyst? Like of all the things you've ever thought about being in your life, don't, I mean, after talking to Glenn, don't you say, you know what? I want to be a a, a, a disciple that replicates disciples, that plants churches, that just like gets to see the wildfire of the gospel spread. I'd go for I don't it. Know. I like I mean, that right? phrase, though. You know, right? I know. I stole it. It's it's, it's technically his. It's probably copyrighted. Well, anyway, okay. So there you go. Uh, I have now. You know me. I need. I need some. I need some new goals, new aspirations. Uh, let me encourage us this morning to be wise. You're going to need some wisdom. I mean, we need wisdom every single day when we are consuming what the news media and people on social media networks are um, pushing out. It's not all true. Let me, it's not all true. You have to be wise. You have to be discerning. You have to uh, do some of your own fact-checking. You, really, if you can read an original source, that's the best way to go. So let me make the connection here to uh, our, our testimony, our witness. It'd be really good to go to the source material. So go directly to God in prayer and go to directly to God's word in the Bible. Do not do not trek out there into the world that God so loves uh, without being in the word that he has given us uh, in order to equip us. God is good and God is great. And we thank him for all that we uh, have today and, and the things with, with which we have access or to which we have access Uh, But we also thank him for the quiet moments where he pours himself into us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we get to sit and soak and saturate our lives with the word of God in order that we might be filled with the grace and truth of God when we are squeezed by the world. That's that's what I want to come out of me when I am squeezed. I don't know about you, but the world is a is full of pressure. Uh, I have all kinds of imperfect relationships. And sometimes those pressure points, right? Eh, I don't know. They just press in. Well, what comes out? Well, we want grace and truth to come out of us as Christians. And the only way it's going to come out of us is if it is what we are already full of. So don't just be accused of being full of it today. Demonstrate that you are full of the grace and the truth of 
of God by spending time in his word and in prayer and with him today. Curate your news feed today and your social media feed carefully because there is a lot of false news out there. There is a lot of bad news out there. And you and I need to be purveyors of the good news. All right. Up next, I'm going to talk with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We are going to talk about the crisis of vaping. We're also going to talk about emergency room visits. He's going to help us understand as an ER doc, like, when should we go there? All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of years without crying. Now I want to... Joining me again today, Dr. Brett Nix. He is an ER doctor. He is also affiliated with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, Dr. Nix, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you. Happy Tuesday morning. Happy Tuesday morning. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to flip my questions. I'm going to start with um, why we should go to the ER and when we should go to the ER, because I want to have the conversation about vaping in that context, um, because I do think that people need to know when to go. Um, but you're an ER doc. I imagine you see a wide variety of of um, people with varying concerns. Which concerns are ER worthy and which concerns should I be dealing with in some other way? That's a great question. I'll, I'll pose it this way. It's Saturday night and you're a new mother and your child has a fever. Who do you call? Your pediatrician's not available. The on-call physician, the on-call nurse may actually have you go to the emergency department. So time is of the essence, depending on time of day. We all know that not everything acts on a 24-hour cycle. But hospital emergency departments are prepared for every kind of emergency. And the things that are first and foremost are these major ones, things where you're concerned about a heart attack. Perhaps it's a stroke, obviously trauma. Maybe you're in a car accident or you're uh, injured at home doing something. Uh, And, of course, nowadays, especially with a lot of the ongoing issues in society, psychiatric emergencies, things around suicidality uh, and other life-threatening conditions, those are the things that emergency departments thrive on. But we also recognize that in the off hours, There are urgencies that cannot be dealt with any other place than an emergency department. And so there's really a little bit of a nuance as it relates to it. So if I'm a mom of a young child and there's a fever in the middle of the night and I can't figure out where to get help, I come to the ER? No, typically, hopefully they are established with a pediatrician and they'll have an on-call nurse that may be available. And of course, they'll walk them through the important things to make sure that You know, if the fever is associated with a virus, they will give them the appropriate dosing for something that may assist with a fever and the things for them to watch for. And sometimes at that point in time, if those things are identified uh, as far as possibly an emergent issue, then they'll come in. Now, the main reasons to seek emergency care really are things like loss of consciousness or severe shortness of breath, the signs of stroke like facial drooping or arm weakness, leg weakness, perhaps somebody who has allergic reactions, uh, chest pain, things that we think about from a heart attack perspective not just an issue as far as a breathing issue. Uh, You know, we think about the traumas, of course, bleeding and how to stop bleeding, simple first aid things. But if you cannot stop bleeding, that's an emergency. Head trauma, people that have seizures that have never had them before or have seizures and something is different. We also think about poisonings for which they will call a poison center. So many of these different things are the classic scenarios where common sense would play out to go to emergency department. The challenge becomes, well, what about the urgencies? When do I go to an urgent care center versus my primary doctor? And 
many times these facilities, they're convenient options for minor illnesses and injuries, things like just a basic fever, some nausea, maybe a rash that you can't figure out, uh, minor sprains and strains, obviously not major trauma in that regard. And the great thing about these is many of them now have extended hours in the evenings and weekends to help to accommodate those that work and really are trying to fight through the day-to-day life with their kids and their family uh, and still be able to access care. Yeah, I have become a great fan of the walk-in clinic. So, I mean, I feel like there are uh, hospital-associated walk-in clinics that um, for most things that we deal with in our family – um, but I, I understand that if there's a trauma involved or if there is obviously a really high fever, like there are things for which we need the ER. And I'm very, very grateful um, that we have access to those as well. I'm curious, over the course of time, um, have you have you started to see different things? Were there things that you maybe saw more frequently in the past that you don't see anymore? And are there things that you never saw in the past that you're now seeing more and more of? It's a great question. Historically, I would say we would see a small percentage, but a larger percentage of those that maybe didn't think of urgent care first. But that percent now is so small. A decade or two ago, you might see patients that you would think to yourself, do they have any other options? And many of them didn't. And that was why they were in the emergency department. But I'll tell you, over the last decade, what we end up seeing more of uh, is not the folks that people say, well, the emergency department's full of people who shouldn't be there. I don't think that's true at all anymore. The vast majority of my shifts, I am dealing with these very, very complex patients that have been on medications for a long period of time with these longstanding chronic illnesses and have done very well with them. But when they get sick because of their chronic illnesses, the level of complexity of their illness, the level of acuity of their illness, and the level of detail and attention that they need uh, is unprecedented. And this is true across, U- across the U.S. and really across the globe as we look at those who have had chronic hypertension and diabetes and renal disease. You put these things together and all of a sudden you add a new illness to that mix. All of a sudden, each of these things start to cause the wheels and the bus to fall off. And it is unbelievable the level of complexity of the patients that come in now. Which, which means that you have to be an expert in everything, which is always a great challenge. All right, you and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk specifically about vaping, what, if anything, you've seen related to it in your ER and what you're hearing from others about it. I'm talking to Dr. Brett Nix, Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be right back. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself Standing in the sun. I can only Dr. Brett Nix is back with us today. Uh, he is a Christian. He is an ER doctor. He is affiliated with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, Brett, let's talk about vaping. Um, have you seen cases that you suspect or have confirmed are vaping related? And what are you hearing from your colleagues? Vaping is everywhere, uh, as you know from the CDC's perspective. Last week, they announced that almost 1,300 cases have been uh, reported across the U.S. All states except for Alaska uh, have had cases up to this point, and it's common. We are, we are seeing it mixed with our patients that come in with psychiatric illnesses. We're seeing it with patients that have history of lung injury issues, whether it be those who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema. Uh, those with asthma are especially prone to having problems with it, and it's untoward. The effects of this is so profound and how quickly this is coming on. It's, it's so different than anything else that we've seen. And historically, when we talked about this several months ago, we talked about the nicotine toxicity as the primary driver. 
But what the CDC is finding is that's only a small piece of the pie. The reality of this is coming down that the vast majority of those that are getting incredibly ill from this, it's actually additional chemicals that are in the uh, vaping material itself, not just the nicotine, but those substances that are commonly found in marijuana known as THC is also in the liquid and now causing secondary issues of both inflammation and that inflammation to many is causing death. And it is unbelievable. So, uh, you know, I, I knew, Brett, that it wouldn't it wouldn't take terribly long until, you know, I knew someone, maybe not immediately knew someone, but know someone once removed who was dealing with this in their own family. And so that that has arrived in my own life. I have a uh, a friend here where I live, and we have a mutual friend in Orlando, and their son um, was uh, on a full-ride athletic scholarship. He was at college. He was, you know, theoretically doing great. Um, he started vaping, and within a matter of weeks, he was not only hospitalized. I mean, he, he his life was waning, um, and he's now, you know, physically totally debilitated. He is on full-time oxygen you know, back at home in Orlando, not living the life that he thought he would be living at this stage. Um, Talk about how fast this happens in some cases. And I mean, just make the appeal that we should not be sucking chemicals into our mouths. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, think about it this way. Our bodies are given to us by God and created amazingly well. But there are things that we are just not to be doing to it. We're supposed to be taking good care of it. And here, regardless, there is no such thing as a safe tobacco product, number one. Number two, we add in now THC, the chemical associated with marijuana, into the vaping products. And we have to recognize that the health effects of this are enormous. And not just uh, from prolonged heavy use, but sometimes it's just the first time that somebody uses it. They use it too much or too aggressively. And what does that mean? It's difficult to say. Everyone will respond differently. And so now we're seeing this heavy, heavy inflammatory response that we call ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, developing in these individuals because their lungs have this chemical response. The inflammation in the lungs leads to the inability for you to get oxygen. And that can lead to then secondarily lung injury, like you said with your, your, your friend, now having long-term issues because of this. And so the best way to avoid any of these types of things from a harmful effect is just not to do it, number one. But more importantly, when you look at those that are using the THC in the e-cigarette, much of that is not regulated at all. So when people are doing it to go ahead and get a secondary high, they have no idea what the chemical is that they're getting, and they have no idea, let alone the purity of it, and what the response is to the body. Regardless, these e-cigarettes really are just a terrible idea whether it is a nicotine substitute uh, or somebody using it for uh, ulterior purposes, uh, the psychoactive pieces associated with it and the downstream injury to the lungs, let alone the long-term ramifications on your body, untoward. You know, it, it, it occurs to me, Brett, that there are, um, there are things that God designed us for and things that God did not d- design us for. And when we get confused about who we are and how we're made and what we're designed to do and what our bodies are for and how, uh, you know, how much the matter matters. Um, It it feels like that's when we step into um, trying things and behaviors that are ultimately destructive to this vessel God has given us. Absolutely. And and if you think about this as as a perfect circumstance, you know, we're called to live life abundantly. And in doing so, anything that we do that puts our, our body at risk 
minimizes the ability to do that and to live to whatever is our calling is. Keep in mind the population we're talking about, 80% of those that are using vaping and having these issues, of the patients that, are, that have currently been monitored by the CDC, 80% of them are under the age of 35. They are in the process of developing who they are as an individual and the ability for them to go ahead and bring value to society, let alone to live out the, the, their calling. And so some of the greatest challenges we face then is that sometimes people are being taught this is a pathway into something different rather than actually seeing it as a, it's a pathway really towards physical destruction. Um, I'm also hearing um, that uh, sexually transmitted diseases are on the rise again. Um, are you seeing that? Or are you seeing what I am hearing about? Um, because this would be another area where we're making choices to do things that, you know, ultimately God intended for us to preserve for one relationship. And obviously, if we're talking about sexually transmitted diseases, we're talking about uh, relationships outside the one God intended. And so I'm just curious, are you, are you seeing what we are hearing about in the wider culture? Absolutely. And, and it is, it is, it's a, a process of an underlying moral decay and, and choices that people make without understanding the ramifications associated with it. I tell you, one of the things that we see not infrequently in the emergency department are those that come in with underlying sexually transmitted infections uh, that may not, number one, know that they have it. But number two, what we're seeing now are the, the frequencies of these being untreatable because of the resistance patterns uh, over time and the frequency by which we're seeing the level of sexually transmitted infections. This is not just uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea, but syphilis and HIV. Uh, many of the challenges we see with uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia, there are not medications to treat because of the resistance patterns that have come about because of the, the frequency by which we're seeing it. Uh, yes, it is. if you look at the data across the CDC and even across the globe, the frequency by which we see it has increased. But the challenge is now not just the process to turn away from such activities that are leading into these, these behavioral processes, but the ability to treat it to allow the person's body to heal has become incredibly difficult. Mm. You know, we appreciate um, those of you who are literally on the front lines of, uh, of helping us when we are hurt and when we are hurting. And so um, just, just remember, we are praying for you and all the other helping professionals out there in the healthcare world. Um, Brett, Nix, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, and thank you for all that you guys do at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. We appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, up next, Mary DeMuth. She and I are going to be talking about her book, We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. I know some of you are saying to yourselves, we don't want to talk about this, which is precisely why we're talking about this. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Superheroes are great in movies and comic books, but in parenting, rescuing your teen every time he gets into trouble can create a disaster. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In my experience, the most irresponsible teens come from the most responsible parents. I call them super parents. They don their cape and fly out to badger a teacher who gave their student a bad grade. They bend steel bars to get him out of jail. And in between, they pick up his room, wash his clothes, and rush him to school when he oversleeps. A more appropriate name for this super parent is an enabler. Hey, the next time your teen runs into trouble, don't swoop in to save the day. Instead, let him deal with the consequences and be the real super parent he needs you to be. 
Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. She is the author of We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. Mary, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. So um, you and I have the privilege of talking about something that people don't want to talk about. And yet we (laughs) it's one of the conversations that uh, an uncomfortable conversation with which we must become comfortable having. Um, So talk about that. Talk about the need to have this conversation, even though it is uncomfortable? Well, as Christians, I think we have to have the conversation. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that um, I didn't really hear a message about this issue or any sort of talk about it. And so therefore, even though I knew the statistics that there were so many of us sitting in a congregation having this issue, um, I felt utterly alone. And so as we begin to talk about it, I feel less and less alone. And I feel like it's our part to at least normalize the conversation so that we can actually talk about it because healing doesn't talk, doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in, happens in community. Okay. So I'm going to pause right there and pull out the end of that statement. Um, healing does not happen in isolation. It happens in community. That is really the spirit of this book, We Too. Um, You don't hate the church. You're not trying to destroy the church. You are trying to get the church um, engaged in a conversation that is redemptive and necessary in order that she she can be who she's called to be. Exactly. And and as you mentioned, I do love the church. I attend an amazing church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and um, I have over the years seen the church begin to have this conversation, and I'm so grateful. Um, we do heal better together. And I, as I look back on my own healing journey, when I stuffed everything down and I tried to you know, figure out it all on my own. It just festered in there. But once I started sharing it with others, that burden got lifted and I began to be prayed for. And that's where a lot of the healing came. This is your own experience. This is also um, an experience that you um, have shared, you know, via testimony from a lot of other people. Um, when we when we talk about this subject matter, um, when we talk about sexual abuse, particularly sexual abuse that happens at the hands of a person in some kind of spiritual leadership or spiritual authority. Um, From your own experience and from the conversations you've had with other survivors, what do we need to know in terms of becoming the kind of people that are safe to tell? I think the first part of that is is to become aware of trauma and not to be naive about it and the long-lasting effects of trauma. Um, these last a long time, and many uh, rape survivors and sexual abuse survivors have post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, or CPTSD, which is complex PTSD. And so... Um, saying when you have that kind of understanding, you'll stop saying things like, well, just get over it. Or why can't you just think differently or just move beyond it? It's not that simple. It involves a lot of work. And so if we can have at least that shred of (laughs) 
decent empathy um, toward others and realize that we can't force things upon them, but that we can walk alongside them. Another thing that's important to know is that we also don't get to dictate someone else's forgiveness journey. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And uh, particularly when it happens in the church with a church leader, the problem becomes it's just so hard to untangle God from that church leader. Um, or if it's done by your you know, father, it's, it's hard to untangle father from God. And, and so people that have that experience have a really hard time walking back into a church, obviously, because they're going to be triggered by it and uh, they're used to being shoved down or not listened to. You, um, again, I'm talking with Mary DeMuth. We're talking about, specifically about her book, We Too, which let me go ahead and tell you, you can find at wetoo.org, and you can find a lot of other resources there at the website as well. This is a conversation about how the church can respond redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis. Um, Mary, one of the words that you use, um, you, you used it freely in the conversation here. You use it freely in the book. I'm not sure we use it as freely as we uh, need to use it in the church and in the conversations that we're having about this, and that is the word rape. Um, When we use the word rape, we recognize the criminality of what we're talking about. We recognize the the, the, just how grotesque this um, these acts are. I think we tend to talk about sexual abuse. We do not tend to talk about rape in most cases or in many cases. Anyway, what we're talking about is rape. Exactly. And it's a hard word to say out loud and and, uh, to introduce into a conversation, especially on the air. But that is the truth. And I think one of the things that we've forgotten is that um, because it involves sex, uh, we tend to not criminalize it. And we forget that when someone is raped, I've heard a statement before that says rape is um, a murder that leaves its victim alive. And I, we forget that this is a traumatic, this is far more than a robbery of someone. This is a, a definitely overpowering of their person and the long-term effects are extreme. And so, yes, it's a crime. And that's why if there is a, um, if there's a murder outside of, in front of a church, a pastor wouldn't bring in the, you know, the perpetrator and try to counsel them and help them to get better, they would call the police. And it's the same if it were a rape. Um, you tell your own story right at the beginning of the book, and then you, um, you share the stories of, of many others. But that is not, I think, ultimately what this book is about. Um, what, what is your hope for this book in terms of not only the education of those who have not experienced um, sexual abuse or rape in the church, but for those who have? Well, one of the things that I talk about in the book is theology, and I think theology drives practice. So it's important that we have a robust theology of how does God look at the broken. And if you look in the Old Testament, you have the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, orphan, the poor, and the alien. And uh, what God says to them, in fact, right now I'm reading through the Bible rapidly. I'm trying to read it in 60 days, and I'm underlining anything in orange that has to do with this vulnerability aspect. And my Bible is bleeding orange. God is concerned for and defends those who are weak or broken. And so if we have that as a robust theology and we understand that God is on their side, then um, then as the church, 
as the represent, representatives of him on this earth, then we also should be on the side of the broken. We see it throughout the life of Jesus. It's, it also is his modus operandi, and we see it in the narrative of the Good Samaritan who um, rescues the one who is broken. And one of the things I was speaking at the Caring Well Conference for the Southern Baptist Convention this last week, and uh, one of the things I challenged the church to do is instead of seeing uh, sexual abuse survivors as a detriment to the church, see them as a gift because because of their lack, they have the ability to reach for Jesus in ways that we wouldn't. And so they have a special um, connection with Christ because they know they need him. And therefore we can learn a lot from them. So Mary DeMuth and I are going to take a brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask her to actually turn to chapter nine and walk us through the necessary education we all need Um, And then chapter 10, why we need to make this nuanced cultural shift from how to to me to. Uh, That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. I am talking this morning with Mary DeMuth. We are talking about her book, We Too. Let me invite you, if you are... um, If this is a a subject matter that you're dealing with personally and you want some help, I'm going to invite you to go to marydemuth.com. Demuth is spelled D-E-M-U-T-H. One of the things that's just going to pop up right there on the screen is uh, is an opportunity to be blessed um, through a 21-day email sequence where you get prayed for uh, daily for three weeks, and you learn how to reframe the past and find new hope for tomorrow. So if you're haunted by past sexual abuse, um, we want you to know you're not alone. We want you to know that there are ministries um, desiring right now to walk alongside you and bless you. So you can go to marydemuth.com and get more information about that. We're talking about Mary's latest book, which is We Too, and you can find the book at wetoo.org. Mary, when I turn to chapter nine of the book, Um, I find a necessary education. This is actually a brief chapter that could have been chapters of a book. I mean, that's the way way I read this chapter. Each one of these um, misunderstandings that are listed in this chapter could have been a chapter um, on their own. So maybe quickly tell us what, uh, what these misunderstandings are and then maybe unpack one of them for us. Sure. So we have already talked about the misunderstanding of trauma's effect. Um, Very important that we understand the nature of trauma. Another is uh, a misunderstanding of of women's daily fears. So uh, when I talk about that, what I'm saying is when I'm going out into a parking lot at night, I have like 28 things I'm thinking of to protect myself. And most men don't understand that these are daily fears that we live with. Uh, misunderstanding of the nature of sin. Uh, obviously, we need to understand the depravity of that and go back to Romans 1, where it talks about God gave them over. And when God gives you over because you've been practicing a, this type of sin, um, things do not go well for you or those you affect. Misunderstanding of forgiveness. Um, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. We don't need to prescribe someone else's forgiveness journey. Um, This is absolutely essential and important as a part of a survivor's journey, but someone else outside of the survivor doesn't get to tell them exactly when they need to forgive. Um, Misunderstanding of the responses to abuse. Uh, I could 
write a whole book about that one. Mm -hmm. Um, what were you wearing? Why didn't you, the one that's really hard for me is why didn't you tell me sooner? Um, that's a, a deep misunderstanding of trauma's effect. Going back to the first one. Um, most people, if they were abused as a child, won't disclose until they're 30. So we just need to understand that that's okay. And their stories sometimes change too, because of how trauma affects the brain, uh, misunderstanding compassion. Uh, we need to, understand what it means to truly listen to someone's story, not try to offer advice, but just to be empathetic listeners and prayers on behalf of others. And then misunderstanding what the church is. We, we tend to think church is like the show that's put on on Sunday morning where everyone looks awesome and we all put on our best smile. Um, but we're actually a community of the broken. And uh, if we can normalize that brokenness, not to revel in it or glory in it, but to say, hey, uh, guess what? The gospel is that Jesus intersects a broken life and it's so glorious. So we need to talk about that more. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a position of learning and I feel like this is learning that I should have done uh, in my home church growing up or in, um, you know, in my young adult ministry um, discipleship, where I was, you know, first trained in ministry. I should have learned it in seminary. I should have learned it in 17 years of pastoral experience. Um, why am I just learning about this now? Um, and you are, uh, for, those, for those who listen to this program on a regular basis, they know I have been tilling this soil. We have had um, a number of conversations um, with with folks who who work in this space around the world and here in the United States, and a number of conversations uh, with those of you who spoke at the Caring Well Conference, and so this is a heart passion for me. It is a deep concern. I love the church like you do, and I want her to do better, and I want to be a part of that. And so um, maybe maybe answer the question: Why do you think it has taken us so long? to get to the place where we are willing to talk and deal with something that is so prevalent? Well, I think part of that has to do with um, looking at the nature of evil. And uh, I believe one of Satan's greatest weapons against humanity is sexual assault. And because it messes with the image of God inside a person. And so he has gotten away with this for millennia. And uh, the battle to keep it silent has been extremely huge. And I also think in, in cultural context, we don't like talking about sex in church and certainly not sexual assault. And so because we have been squeamish about it, uh, it's become a taboo subject. And for so many years, because that was not what proper people talked about, and therefore, because it wasn't something we talked about, then it just simply wasn't talked about. And, and unless we were saying abstain from it prior to marriage, which is a good message, but um, it doesn't get into the, what, like even that message, like I'm going to church, I'm a brand new Christian, I'm 15 years old, I met Christ, I was raped at five, and I hear this message, you should not have sexual relations before marriage. I embrace it, and, and I think that's great, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I've already had that. And I think there was a recent statistic that said, um, and I may be quoting it wrong, but I think it was 18% of women's first sexual experience was rape. And that is, that's tremendously 
horrifying. And that shows just how much the enemy has thrived in the darkness. And that's why so many of us are taking one for the team and trying to highlight this issue. Okay, so let's give some people some resources, some places to turn um, in addition to uh, your book and the ministry resources uh, available through we2.org and your website, uh, marydemuth.com, where are you directing um, church leaders? Where are you directing people for the kind of equipping that you're talking about? I am. Um, I have been very strongly connected with uh, netgrace.org, which is Boz Chavidjan's organization. Um, but I also have on my website, if you go to we2.org slash pastors, there's a free 30-page PDF of curated resources that I have found from around the world that help the church and help pastors and help people um, deal with their sexual abuse. And so uh, that's just my, because I know I'm, I'm certainly just one little voice crying out in the wilderness, but there's lots of us. And so I'd love to give that resource to people. It's free. Okay. Again, that's we2.org slash pastors. Um, yep. And again, it's a free downloadable resource. It's called Sexual Abuse Resource List for Pastors and Ministry Leaders. And I want, you know, I want people to um, to not just listen. I want people to engage because this is not about your story, Mary. It is about, I mean, it is about your story. Don't let me take that away. But it is about oh, the way this becomes our story. And until it becomes our story, and I am grieved by it and concerned about it, um, we don't together seek to make the changes that are necessary to be different. We have to understand the pain point here, and we also need to understand that what's at stake. So in the recent LifeWay study, 30-somethings, one in 10 of them are leaving the church, and the reason, uh, actually one in 10, they cite the reason that they are leaving the church because of how the church has dealt with sexual abuse. That's a profound um percentage. And we need to pay attention because this next generation, um, you know, whether it's millennials or beyond is they want, they're asking the question, what is real? And if we're all about reputation management and not about telling the truth about things, then they're going to be turned off because they are the telling the truth gen generation. And I'm actually really grateful for them for having a lot of rallying cries about this issue, as they should. Um, it's, it's not insignificant that the Me Too movement happened on their watch. And so, um, yeah, we, it's, we can either choose not to talk about it and lose people, or we can be relevant um, with a robust theology of the gospel, um, which I think fits hand in glove with this issue, because as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is affected and loves and always turned to those who were broken and needy. He was the, when he had arguments with people, it was with, with the religious elite. It was never the broken people. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mary DeMuth, thank you so much um, for being with us today. Thank you for the book. It is We Too. You can find it at we2.org. Pastors, you need to go to the pastors page at we2.org backslash pastors. You guys can get immediate resources. Um, also, if you are dealing with sexual abuse in your own life, go to marydemuth.com and connect there as well. Mary DeMuth, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, so as we go out into the world that God so loves today, I know that we go like both encouraged and, and, and just, gosh, so energized by what Glenn Sunshine told us, and then um, heartbroken 
uh, from what we heard both from Mary DeMuth just now, but I hope also energized to make the conversation different in our own congregations and um, and communities related to sexual abuse and sexual violence. Um, I know we are praying the news that was brought to us in this hour earlier by Mindy Bells out of Syria. Um, I know that. And so let me encourage you today to take all of that before the Lord, lift it up to him, and then move forward into the world that he so loves as an ambassador of his kingdom grace. Uh, Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.